Welcome to the Faith Lakeside Podcast. Each week you'll hear another great message that will help you know God and make Him known in your life. Join us each Sunday at 1045 a.m. and throughout the week in small groups to make the most of your learning experiences. Now, sit back, relax with a great cup of coffee and a notebook and enjoy this week's message. For His kingdom. Here we go again. More Colossians. And so open up your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4 if you have them. Encourage you to, to do that or open up your Bible app and jump into Colossians chapter 4. We're going to be starting in verse 2 and actually finishing in verse 2 today as well. But we've been talking this whole letter of Paul to the church in Colossae, which is to us as well as believers, takes us from a place of understanding that there is a kingdom established by God through his son, the eternal king, that those who believe on him can be saved and live a life of genuine change in the kingdom that we might have to suffer for, but it's all right because Jesus, the Christ, is our greatest treasure and he's all that we need. And when we understand that, we can begin to live rightly focused, taking off the things, those characteristics that are ungodly and of the world and putting on Christ-likeness. And that first is going to have an impact on our lives in the church, but then also at home. And now we're to a place as this letter begins to wrap up in chapter 4, where we are going to see some concluding thoughts. So Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Let's read together in God's word. So I just want to encourage you to follow along, whether in your own Bible on your lap or the Bible app, and to see what God's word has to say to us today. And we're going to be talking about the inside and outside faith that we're called to as Christians. So verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the word, to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains, so that I may know that I may make it known as I should. Act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. So we, we see here this this letter is beginning to wrap up. And in fact, we're going to move from these few verses into some statements and some greetings for, for individuals. And, and so we're going to spend the next few weeks after uh, these next couple talking about how God can use nearly anybody uh, in his kingdom. But first, let's talk about inside and outside faith. You know, when I was a kid growing up, you, you have that experience where you, you get to have your inside voice, and, you know, that's always supposed to be reserved. And then outside voice, you can scream as loud as you want, and you run, and you play, and you swing, and you do. And that was just last week for me. And so it's, it's important, though, to understand that there's this element of the Christian life that is internal, that is about uh, focusing quietly on the things of God, and then one that will be more external and about declaring the things of God. And the apostle wants the church in Colossae and us to understand, first, the inside faith. And that begins with a life of prayer. If you were in my Sunday school class this morning, we talked about prayer a little bit. And prayer can be one of those difficult things in life. I uh, know of, of pastors who pray hours every morning. You'll get up before the sun comes up and 
I don't even know if God's awake yet, but they get up and they begin to pray and, you know, they spend hours in prayer. And, and I've actually read, I believe it was Spurgeon who said, if you didn't pray at least four hours a day, you weren't really a pastor uh, kind of mindset. And I'm just like, four hours a day? I, I, I'm good like four minutes. And that's usually when I'm in the shower. Uh, you know, that, that it's really hard to, to do that sometimes. And, and yet prayer, all of us know, it should be an important part of our lives. And so we might struggle with this. And so we're, we're, we're told here in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, to devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. Now, this idea of devotion Let's begin by, by breaking it down and looking at what does it mean to devote ourselves to prayer? Because a lot of us have a mindset that, well, devoting myself to prayer means this many minutes at this interval throughout my day. And for others of us to devote ourselves to prayer, it would be if we could just pause long enough before lunch to pray over the food, that would be a great first step for us, right? So, so where are we at? Where are we supposed to be at? What does this look like in the life of a believer to devote ourselves to prayer. Now, as, as we get started, I, I didn't ask permission to do this, so you can like shake your head no and tell me no. But Jim, could you do me a favor and come up to the platform with me? I've got a, an object lesson that I want to do. All right, so I just need you to stand there like this. No, I'm kidding. That's... <laughs> you all thought I was going to do a backflip off of Jim, didn't you? That would be amazing. It's good to see you today. Glad you're here. All right, just stand like right, right behind me, beside me. Just don't, I mean, stick with me, right? Don't creep anybody out. No faces, no bunny ears, right? So, but I want you to, you don't have, don't hide. He's, it's okay. Look, all these people are nice. Like everybody here is going to be nice. Don't, they will not bite you. Right, well, I won't speak for Bridget, but all right. So devote to Bridget's his wife. Uh, so, and that was just too far, right? To devote ourselves, to devote ourselves. You're not really hanging with me very well, but that's okay. To devote ourselves. What does it mean to devote? Well, first of all, we need to understand in this passage, I didn't say, I didn't say mimic me. <sighs> Maybe this wasn't the best choice. To devote ourselves. It's important to understand as we look back at this, this verse, devote yourselves to prayer. This word devote, it is a command. Now, I hope you've been wrestling with this in, in through the, the series of, of going through these last few weeks, what we've been taught, because what we have been taught these last few weeks about our relationship in the household, about putting off negative things and, and putting on right things, is that it, it's not a choice if you want your life to be better. It is a command that you are supposed to be living by if you are a genuine believer in Christ. So when you hear, devote yourselves to prayer, you should not hear, if you want to grow deeper in Christ, devote yourselves. You should not hear, if you want to be happy, pray more. You should not hear things like that. You should instead hear your king giving you a command, devote yourself to prayer. Devote yourself to prayer. So what is this command? Well, it, it is actually, if we look at the way it's used in the original language, the original hearers would have heard, continue to devote yourself to prayer. 
that it is not a one-time, yeah, I'm going to pray a lot, but it is a continual daily practice of devoting yourself to prayer. A continual choice day after day to say, I will pray. Continue to devote yourself in prayer. And it actually carries with it a connotation of continuing through difficulty. To, to not just realize that, it, yeah, yeah, it's going to be easy, I'm going to set this schedule, but that it will be difficult and you will have to persevere on a daily basis. You're going to have to fight on a daily basis to remain committed to prayer. And that is the command for you, the citizen of the kingdom of the Son, the follower of Christ the King. You are daily supposed to choose to pray, and to commit yourselves, even through difficulty, to prayer. And so we we get then, well, what does that mean? What does that look like? Ephesians 6.18, the apostle Paul writes this to the church in Ephesus, and he says this, pray at all times. Now, it goes on to say, in the spirit and with every prayer and request, and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. But when we focus on that first phrase, pray at all times, does that mean we keep our eyes closed and we're like, oh Lord, I'm just like every other Pittsburgh driver. And I just, I I know that I'm not really paying attention, but would you just keep me right? This is not what we're talking about. Pray at all times in a, in a posture or a, a, a physical status, but one instead of you are always practicing the presence of God, always communicating with him. You know that God is always with you, right? You don't ever have to summon him. You don't ever have to call him up to your side and say, Hey God, you know, I I know you're hanging out there in heaven, but would you help me out today? No, he is always present. He is omnipresent. In fact, he is completely and fully present with each and every one of us all the time, every day. And so when we talk about praying at all times, it is about communicating with someone who is always there. Philippians 4, 6 says, don't worry about anything, but in everything, how much of your life is everything? All of it. Everything you encounter through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. All the time, everything, we are supposed to be praying to the God who is always present with us. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 Another command, pray constantly. Pray constantly. When are you not supposed to be in prayer? Well, there's really never a time when you should not be in an attitude and a practice of prayer. Now, some of you, you're, some of you are smiling. You got that coy smile. I know what you're doing, Michael. I know why Jim's up there. You're right. Look, it, it was nice to invite Jim. Wasn't it nice to get invited up? It was, but I've ignored him the whole time, right? He's, he's here, but he's, he's not, is he? But now, now let's, let's talk about, so, so Jim, you know, the lights are kind of bright, aren't they? But praise God, we get to see, isn't it? Isn't it nice to see? Yeah, yeah, even, even if it's like halvesies, it's nice to see, right? Thanks a lot. Jim has a bum eye. So um, <laughs> things you didn't know about Jim that now I'm sharing publicly. Anything else you don't want me to share publicly that I can? What do you know? <laughs> I don't know. Bridget, what do I know? No, but like, yeah, and now, now, do you like Don's shirt? 
I actually love that shirt. Yeah, it's a nice shirt. I don't I, think I can pull it off. Right. It, well, and it wouldn't fit me because I would, yeah, I would, you'd the, no. Um, it just, it wouldn't work, would it? Right? No, but it's, it's good. It's good. It's, it's a little warm in here, isn't it? Well, yeah, it's it's breezy, but I'm. But when you get up here, you get nervous, right? And they they blame the lights, but it's really it's internal, isn't it? But then I realized I wasn't part of it. That's true. You were, you were, but now you are. Yes. Right, because because what we're doing is I'm I'm taking you and I'm saying I know you're here, and and now it's it's my job to to incorporate you into my experience. It's my job to to talk to you and to say, isn't this good? Isn't that great? Doesn't that stink. That kind of bothers me, but I, you know, help me out, right? I can do that. You can do that. He's going to help me out. Cool. You, you, you guys get the picture. Jim, thank you for your help. Hey, it's fun. You can go now. Yeah. <laughs> Was he making faces the whole time or just, yeah. You guys get the picture, right? It's, so, so here we have the God of creation with us all the time and we gym him. Right? We, 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 we leave him in the back. We ignore him. He's with us through every circumstance. I just turned Jim into a verb about ignoring someone. Right. You're right. I did. And, and that's what we do. We, we gym Jesus. And we, we, we treat him as though he's not there. And we wonder, well, what, why does he feel distant? He's not distant. You're just not acknowledging his presence. And we're talking about being devoted to prayer and praying constantly. Some have mistaken that and, and, and thought that, well, they need to be in church for 24 hours a day all the time in some sort of prayer furnace and, and crazy experience where everybody's dancing and, and sweating and stuff. And no, you don't accomplish anything because we're supposed to be out and we're supposed to be earning a living and caring for families and caring for one another and witnessing to the world around us. So clearly praying constantly, being devoted to prayer is not about always being in a posture of prayer, is it about, but it's about something different. It's about being in an attitude of communication with the creator of the universe who loves you and is constantly present. It's about when something is good, do you know what you do? Jesus, thank you. That's, a, that's good. Ooh, green lights all the way. It's not that you're a good driver, it's that God loves you right? That, that, that it rained on your garden. Hallelujah. God has provided. And, and guess what? When it's a bad thing, do you know what you can do too? Talk to him about it. My knee hurts, Jesus. Can, can, can you just give me the strength to make it through the day? I'd love it if you healed it, but can, can you give me the strength to make it through the day? To be in constant conversation with the God who is always present. And to turn every experience into an opportunity to either pray for someone, give thanks, glorify God. Just, just every opportunity. Now, now, is this something that we will find difficult? Probably. And there are some things in our life that we really can't find much to pray about, right? You sit and you watch a certain TV show and you know that the choices that the characters are making are not quite godly. And you're, it's not like, oh, Jesus, thank you for the fact that I'm entertained by blasphemy. Thank you that adultery is so pleasing. No, right? There are certain things which, which might mean maybe we need to change some of the things that we're doing in our life if we can't pray in the midst of those things. So, so we see this picture that we are given by Scripture, not of being on our knees for 
12 hours a day and praying constantly. And Now, that can be a fine thing. Don't get me wrong. Kneeling in prayer, postures of respect and submission can be great exercises in our prayer life. But we cannot be devoted to prayer or pray constantly if we are focused upon the physical expressions of prayer. Instead, we are called as Christians, and not just, not just like encouraged, but commanded as Christians to be working to practice prayer constantly, to recognize the presence of our King every moment of every day, and to whisper out prayers of thanksgiving, prayers of, of I'm discouraged, give me strength, prayers for other people. Anybody have a practice of when you hear sirens to just pray for whoever they're going for? That's a good practice. You know why? You can count it. First of all, you are praying for someone in a a time of need, but also you are praying constantly. You are being devoted to prayer, and you're using the physical cues of your life to remind you to turn back to the God who loves you. And so this is what it means to pray constantly. This is what it means to be devoted to prayer. Last week, I introduced you guys to Brother Lawrence uh, when it came to doing work for the glory of God. And, and he is, his thoughts are recorded in a, in a little book called The Practice of the Presence of God. About a third of it is, is uh, the recorded thoughts of a, a, a bishop that he served under about Brother Lawrence. And then some of it is letters from Brother Lawrence to this same bishop. And he lived in the 1600s. And, and he just had this, this notoriety for being a, a pleasant person who was deeply spiritual and yet simply lived his life. He worked in the kitchen most of his years in the monastery. And yet he felt that that was some of the greatest moments of experiencing the presence of God was in cooking and doing dishes and ordering the beer and the wine for the monastery. That, that the, the most banal of tasks became the greatest opportunity to glorify God in his life. And here's what he says about prayer. Uh, what well, well, is said about him regarding prayer. That with him, the set times of prayer were not different from other times. That he retired to pray according to the directions of his superior. So he practiced postures and schedules of prayer in a religious manner but that he did not want such retirement nor ask for it because his greatest business did not divert him from God. In other words, he had come to a place in his life where everyday tasks were just as deeply spiritual as going into the chapel and doing his scheduled prayers. In fact, maybe even more so. Because he felt God's presence in a way that was not liturgical and ritualistic, but instead the genuine presence of God in everyday life. Another thing that is said of Brother Lawrence, that he was more united to God in his outward employments than when he left them for devotion in retirement. In other words, it was in fact the daily work of the kitchen and the monastery and the garden for the kitchen that was more spiritual for him than when he went to do the religious stuff. 
Now, I don't want you to hear me that you shouldn't pause and spend time in prayer. I don't want you to hear me that you shouldn't do devotions and read God's Word and spend time in contemplation and and mulling over what God would speak to you through His written Scriptures. But what I do want you to hear from me is that your life should not be divided out into the spiritual and then the everyday life. But instead, your everyday life can and should be, as a Christian, your spiritual life. That when the computer at work turns on and boots upright, that is a, a, a moment for praising God. When, when the, the, the spreadsheet balances, hallelujah, glory to God. When the burger flips just right and doesn't fold in half. I don't know if anybody flips burgers for money, but if you do, that is to God's glory as well. And a moment for you to rejoice. When the fry grease splashes and it doesn't get you, hallelujah, God is good. And when it does, oh Lord, heal me, that hurts. Every moment of our lives should be such that it is committed to enjoying the presence of our Savior and praying and communicating and communing with Him. Here's what else Brother Lawrence says. This is actually uh, him speaking of himself. I have quitted all forms of devotion and set prayers, but those to which my state obliges me. In other words, he did what he had to do as a monk when it came to the religious aspects of life, the ritualistic aspects of his spiritual life. But he only did what he had to do as required. And I make it my business only to persevere in his holy presence, wherein I keep myself by a simple attention and a general fond regard to God. He says, here's what I do. On a regular basis, instead of the religious ritualistic stuff, I practice being in God's presence and try and pay attention to the fact that he's always with me. And then... I try and love him in the moment. And here's what he says, which I may call an actual presence of God or to speak better an habitual, silent, and secret conversation of the soul with God. When Paul commands us on behalf of the Holy Spirit to devote ourselves to prayer, he is commanding us to a practice like this. An habitual, silent, and secret conversation of the soul with God in every aspect of life, which often causes me joys and raptures inwardly and sometimes also outwardly so great that I am forced to use means to moderate them and prevent their appearance to others. Can you imagine your spiritual life being such that when you are there doing dishes, all of a sudden, you get so overwrought with the presence of God that it's just like, (laughs) hallelujah, yippee, right? And, And you have to work to hold it in at work. You have to not let everybody know just how amazing God is because you're so in his presence, that you don't want to look like a kook, but you also don't want to deny the very presence of your Savior. Can you imagine your spiritual life being like that? Some of you, I'm not sure you can. You're looking at me like, uh, I want a nap. It's okay. It's okay. I want a nap too. It'll come. This too is in God's timing though. Let's focus on his word for a few more minutes. But can you imagine your spiritual life being like this? 
Can you imagine being so devoted in prayer to your Savior that you daily practice His presence? And that's what we're called to, to devote yourselves to prayer. And then he says to stay alert in it with thanksgiving. This staying alert, what does it mean to stay alert? Well, it is once again a command. And stay alert, it's, it's, there's no like, deep spiritual meaning to this. It is stay awake, stay on guard, stay aware, stay on watch. This word would have been used for, for soldiers who were given the responsibility of watching the camp overnight to guard it from the enemy. Stay alert. Don't fall asleep. Don't nod off. Don't, don't allow it to become a practice that you neglect. Don't gym Jesus. But instead, make sure that you are continually recognizing his presence and speaking to him in warm affection regarding your joys and your pains and your fears and others that you would desire to see change and new life in. And, and so this used of a garden duty, well, what does it look like in regular life? Here's, here's what Jesus uh, was doing with his disciples. Matthew 26, the night before Jesus was crucified. He's in the garden. He goes to pray. He invites all of his disciples to sit outside the garden and then three of them to come in even further and pray with him to a certain extent. But then he leaves them and he says this, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. And then he goes on a little bit further into the garden and prays alone. And Jesus then comes back to them and says, Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We see a very practical application. It's a late night prayer in the garden. They're full of a great meal. They, they, they're kind of, you know, just chilling and relaxing. And Jesus says, stay alert and pray. And isn't it easy when things are all good to just nod off in our spiritual life? But we are called to devote ourselves to prayer. Stay alert to practice awareness, to look around the room and allow the Holy Spirit to quicken in our hearts and minds prayers for those around us, murmurings of rejoicing and glorifying God as we practice being alert and praying. Luke 21, 36, Jesus says this, but be alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Son of Man. That, that alert prayers are required to make it through the difficulties of this life. To, to, we, we watch the news, we watch things going on, we say things are in shambles, maybe we lose hope. And the answer is not to slink off into the darkness, but instead to devote yourselves to prayer. Because that brings you into the very presence of God and gives you the strength to make it through daily life. Revelation chapter 16, verse 15, Jesus says this, Look, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who is alert. Alertness in our spiritual life is key. It's critical. Do not allow yourself to be lulled into complacency by the good things that you've been blessed with, but instead remain alert in prayer. And so we are supposed to devote ourselves to prayer, to stay alert in it, and also to practice thanksgiving. Now, some of us, we read this verse and we're like, yes, that means turkey and stuffing every week. 
right? Does that, that needs to be the new Sunday dinner, turkey and stuffing. Somebody get to work cooking that turkey. No, not Thanksgiving like we practice it one day a year, but instead Thanksgiving as it should be practiced every day a year, to be thankful to God for the blessings of this life. James tells us that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. He gives everything that you would count in your life as good or valuable, even if you think you earned the money to pay for it. It was a gift from God. Everything in your life is a gift from God. I want you to just pause for a second and do this. Breathe in deep. Now you can breathe out. You don't have to hold it. That was a gift from God. That was a gift from your heavenly Father. And you can practice one of two things. You can take it for granted, or you can do as Scripture commands you, and to give thanksgiving. And, and this isn't the only place we see this. Psalm 136, verses 1 through 3. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks. Do you, you think that's what the psalmist means? You think that's what God wants us to do? Give thanks. Now, some of us, when we start talking about prayer, we maybe struggle not with doing it, not with the the practice of prayer, not even with understanding that God is continually present and we should be in constant communion with Him. But we might even come to the place, though, is if God is in control, can prayer really make a difference at all? We're commanded to pray. We're given this devote yourselves to prayer. But if God is in absolute control of everything, why do I even bother to pray? It's all just going to work out the way he wants anyway. Why pray? So let's answer some questions. First, we'll ask the question, is God in control? And so we got some yeses. And and we all... Really, we must believe that to a certain extent because we wouldn't pray if we didn't think he could change or affect or was in control in some way or another. But let's see what scripture has to say. Psalm 115.3, our God is in heaven and does what we ask him. Thank you for the no. I appreciate that. Uh, I I would have even taken heretic or liar from anyone as an appropriate answer as well. Our God is in heaven and does whatever he pleases. God's sovereignty in in that one statement is absolute. His control is absolute. And it is determined not necessarily by anything. Well, it is not determined by anything but his desire. Psalm 135.6, the Lord does whatever we like and makes us happy in heaven and on earth. No, whatever he pleases. In heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the depths. Where would this be? Would we, would we be excluded from the absolute power of God doing whatever he pleases? Where is there a corner that we can escape that? Nowhere. God is in control. Proverbs 16.33. The lot is cast into the lap. This is an act that we think even is completely random. It's, it's, it's Yahtzee. Right? We're, we're playing Yahtzee. And that's, a, that's random chance, isn't it? No. 
Scripture tells us the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Even those things that we think are random chance are God exercising his will and his sovereignty. Isaiah 45, verses 7 through 9, God says this through the prophet Isaiah, I form light and create darkness. I make success and create disaster. I am the Lord who does all these things. Heavens, sprinkle from above and let the skies shower righteousness. Let the earth open up so that salvation will sprout and righteousness will spring up with it. I, the Lord, have created it. Woe to the one who argues with his maker. One clay pot among many. Does clay say to the one forming it, what are you making? Or does your work say, he has no hands? What might this lead you to believe about God's control and desires and plans in the life of everyone? That he is king and sovereign and is in absolute unlimited control over all of us. Now, this, this becomes difficult, right? Well, why do I pray if, if God's in absolute control? But we're not even done. Isaiah 46.10, I declare the end from the beginning and from long ago what is not yet done, saying, my plan will take place and I will do all my will. God is sovereign. God's plans will come to pass. Scripture is unequivocal on this. There's no softening of this. There's no in-between. Jesus himself says this, aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father's consent. Even the very birds of the air, God has determined and planned and laid out their paths. That one that hit your window when it was smoky and died, God's plan came to pass. But even the hairs of your head have all been counted. And for some of us, it's a bigger task than others, right? But it means that even the things that are genuinely insignificant to our lives, you, you do know if you lose your hair, you don't die, right? You still live, right? And so hair, while it is something we appreciate, is not something that's necessary for life. And yet even this inconsequential thing to us, God counts and knows and numbers. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Jesus says, God is sovereign. And in control. Colossians 1.16 and 17. We looked at it previously in our study of Colossians. And it says this. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth. The visible and the invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. That's a good start to say he created everything. And we could leave it at that and think that God just kind of threw us all on the earth. And says now fight it out. But it says this as well, he is before all things, and by him all things hold together. Our continuing existence is completely dependent on God's good pleasure for us to continue to exist. He is the one who makes even the breath you took earlier and the one you're taking right now possible. And all of it is according to his good will and is a gift from his hand. 
So we come to a place then of saying, well, since God is in control, since he is sovereign, can prayer really make a difference? And maybe I'm the only one who struggles with this. But if that's the case, let me preach to myself for another five minutes or so, maybe 10 or 20 or 30. But still, but if this applies to you, if this is something you've struggled with, I want you to hear me. This is, this is a, a genuine place where many believers have to walk through. We see that scripture tells us that God is sovereign. So does prayer matter? I mean, are we commanded to do something that's meaningless? Well, let's, let's look. First of all, it depends on what we mean when we talk about can prayer really make a difference? Numbers 23, 19 says this of God in his nature. God is not a man that he might lie or a son of man that he might change his mind. Does he speak and not act or promise and not fulfill? You see, God, according to scripture, is immutable. He is unchangeable. He does not change his mind. Now, we might look and go, yeah, 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 but what about... Let's understand something that God, the one who knows the beginning from the end and has ordained both, understands all the circumstances that are going to take to get there. And so when it looks like God is changing his mind in Scripture, it is a a, a place where from our perspective it looks like he changed his mind, but God knew all along where he would be going and what would happen. And so it was always his choice for it to unfold that way. And so God does not change his mind. And if you think that you can pray and change God's mind or plans, you are mistaken. Scripture gives us a picture that prayer doesn't make God go, Oh, you know, I didn't think about that. You're right. Thank you for helping me out and giving me some better direction here. Because I really, you, you just, you opened my eyes to something that was hidden to me. God will not say that to us. There is, there is nothing you or I can say that God does not already know, that he has not already foreseen and planned for. We do not change God's plans or his mind. So if you think that when we talk about prayer, if you think that all of a sudden you can change God's mind about something, God, you know, I don't really like that one rule in scripture. Um, you know, just one wife, come on, I'd like four or five. You know, I mean, come on, come on, God. Help a brother out. No. It doesn't matter how hard you pray or how hard you believe. His standards, his plans, his desires are consistent and constant and absolute. Isaiah 37, 27 says this though. While we can't God change God's mind, here's what God says about prayer. Then Isaiah, son of Amoz, sent a message, a message to Hezekiah. The Lord, the God of Israel says, because you prayed to me, about King Sennacherib of Assyria, and then begins to explain what will unfold. And what does that say right there? It says, because you prayed to me. Wait wait a minute, how do we reconcile? God has a plan and we can't change it. And then a verse like this that says, because you prayed, I'm taking action. Well, it's because two things are true, and they seem irreconcilable. And we might struggle, but God is absolute and sovereign and has ordained the beginning from the end. And, weird as it is, our prayers matter. And so when God calls us through the Apostle Paul and and through the church in Colossae, Colossae to be devoted to prayer, he's not saying, I'm in control 
and you know, you got nothing to do in this. He's saying, I'm in control and yet I need your prayers. I want you to pray. I want you to, to do it because your prayers matter. And they have consequence. And they have meaning. James chapter 4 verse 2 says this, You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. Who are we supposed to ask when we don't have? God. How do we ask God? There's a form in the back of your Bible. You have to fill it out in triplicate. (laughs) Submit it at the box in the back, right? No! You pray! You don't have because you don't ask. And the implication is if you were to ask in prayer, what will happen? He will provide. Your prayers matter. Your prayers matter. James 5, verses 15 through 18. The prayer of faith will save the sick person, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person doesn't really matter because God's in control. No, is very powerful in its effect. Now you might go, wait a minute, but God's in control. How can my prayers have an effect? Because God's in control. And he has said, when you pray to me, you're not changing my mind, you're not changing the course of history, but you are fulfilling my will for your life and walking in a way that pleases me and is a a means of submission and your prayers are genuinely powerful. In changing the world around you. It says this, Elijah was a human being as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the land. Then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the land produced its fruit. What made it stop raining? Elijah's prayer. This is God's word telling us this. Now, was it God's will for it to stop raining? Yes. But what did God use? What was a means that God used to to bring about the end of rain? Elijah's prayer. Why did it start raining again after three and a half years? Elijah's prayer. Did God will for it to start to rain? Yes. But what means did God use to achieve his will? The prayer of the believer, Elijah. So, Here's what we would say. Not that God's in control so prayer doesn't matter, but because God is in control and he says your prayers matter, your prayers can actually make a difference. If he was a God who was not in control, who was just like, I can't figure out how to make this all work, why would you pray to him? But because he's in absolute and sovereign control over every aspect of life, knows the beginning from the end and has it all mapped out and nothing will deviate from him accomplishing what he pleases, our prayers actually matter because that's what he says of our prayers. Now I have a a little example here. Um, Some of you might think that this is for helping people in discipleship, but this is actually actually a little bit of an an object lesson. I have here a board and a nail. Now, um, let, let us just say, in God's word somewhere, it says, thou shalt put the nail in the board, right? And, and we know that it is God's will for this nail to be in this board. He has revealed it clearly in his word. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt, not some prophet on TBN told us, not we got a feeling, but God's word spoke to, speaks directly to us and says that the nail belongs in the board. 
All right, can God put the nail in the board supernaturally? Absolutely. The, 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 there could be a miracle right now. No, right? It's just, I know God wants the nail in the board. His word tells me. His word tells me things like he wants to provide for me, right? His word tells me that he wants all men to have the opportunity to hear the gospel and be saved. His word tells me that he wants so many good and gracious things in my life. But then his word also tells me I don't have it because I don't ask. So his word tells me I want the nail in, he wants the nail in the board. And, and, and oh, well, look what God has also provided. A hammer. I have, I have the board that God has spoken of. I have the nail that God has spoken of. And I, I could sit around and wait for a miracle, but because God has given me the board and the nail and the tool to accomplish his will, yes. Could God have done this supernaturally and miraculously? Yes. But he chose to use the means of me and this hammer in order to accomplish his will. Prayer, if you will, as difficult as this might be, is the hammer by which you accomplish the will of God. God accomplishes what he desires. We work alongside him. We are a tool in his hands. And when we pray, he uses us and our prayers as the means to accomplish what he has planned. And so because he is sovereign, our prayers matter. Because he is in control, our prayers matter. He has made us the tools and our prayers, the means by which his good and perfect will is accomplished. And so our prayers count because he uses us to accomplish that which he's laid out. Martin Luther says it this way. He says, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance but laying hold of his willingness. In other words, you are not trying to convince God to give you what you want, but you are trying to be used by the hand of God to accomplish what he desires. And that's what our prayers are meant to be. Mark chapter 11, verses 23 and 24, Jesus is talking to the disciples and he had cursed the fig tree outside Jerusalem just before. This is in the days leading up to his crucifixion. And, and the fig tree died. When they came back the next day, it was dead. And they're like, Jesus, how did you do that? You just spoke to it and it died. And Jesus says this, truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, everything you pray and ask for, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Now, some would say, well, that means Cadillac in the parking lot, you know, or, or something. No, this is. He he is speaking specifically to these acts of faith that glorify the Father and speak to his provision and his desires for relationship. That when we ask for even big, amazing things that are in line with ministry and glorifying God, that it will be ours. uh, John 14, he says this, Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that you can impress your friends. No, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. 
To what end? That the will of the Father might be fulfilled and He might be glorified. And so we have to understand, what is prayer for? It's not about telling God your, your list of, of, of wants and, and trying to convince Him that you really need that thing you know you don't need. But instead, is it a, it's about declaring His promises as something you trust in and in everything you do, seeking His glory. John 15, 7, Jesus says this, If you remain in me, and my words remain in you. In other words, you are in intimate relationship with me and walking with me in the way that I have saved you for. Ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. But, but this is a pretty, pretty high condition, isn't it? Walk with me rightly and then what you ask for, I'll give you. But in walking with Christ rightly, you will only want those things that glorify God and lift up Christ as King. 1 John 5.14, John kind of lays it out and makes it really simple for us. He says this, this is the confidence we have before him. We're talking about prayer. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And so it is, ask for the moon, but make sure you know that it's according to God's plans and his purposes as revealed in his word. And he'll hear you. And respond. Romans 8, 26 and 27. You might think, well, that puts a lot of pressure on me to pray the right way. I better pray for the right things at the right time or God can't use me in the way that he wants to. Here's what Romans 8, 26 and 27 says. In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should. Anybody feel that way? I, I, I know there's so much I should be lifting up. I know I should be praying. I don't even know what to pray for as I should. It says this, but the Spirit himself intercedes with us, or intercedes for us with inexpressible groaning. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit fills in the gaps when our prayers are incomplete or misdirected or misguided. And so we can trust that in the act of prayer, we can fulfill the will of God in our lives. We can become that tool to accomplish his purposes because even if we are incomplete, the Holy Spirit completes and fulfills us up and brings our prayers to the very throne of God in a way that is perfect. And so this command, Colossians 4.2, devote yourselves to prayer all the time every day, in every circumstance. Stop treating Jesus like Jim. Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert. Stay awake, brothers and sisters. And this is not a statement about sleeping or not. This is a statement about keep your eyes open and pray about everything. And be sure to do it with thanksgiving. So how do we pray? How do we pray? According to, to what we've learned today, we pray in a constant and devoted and always manner. When we pray should be all the time. An attitude of prayer, an attitude of experiencing the presence of the God who's always with us. We pray in a manner that's alert and awake and aware of the circumstances around us. We pray in thanksgiving. We pray according to God's sovereign will. 
We pray in a manner that says, I submit to your plans and your purposes, God, but we also pray in faith, believing that our prayers matter and have consequence, not because we necessarily feel like we're really powerful, but because God says our prayers matter, and we know that the Holy Spirit will both give us guidance in our prayer and then care for our prayers on their way to the throne and make sure that, well, the, the little bit of tweak gets thrown. And he's like the editor for our prayers, right? And make sure that they are just right according to the will of the Father to accomplish what he has laid out before us. And so as we close out this morning, there is a prayer that is perfect in this. A prayer that is perfect. If you read this, all of a sudden, when you read the, the Lord's Prayer, and I'm not telling you to, start be, to, to begin reciting it all the time, but what I'm be, telling you to do is the reason Jesus teaches it, the disciples ask him, how do we pray? And he doesn't say, get on your knees and pray for four hours. He, he doesn't say, do a ritual. He doesn't say, spin around five times and you know, face west. He, he says, when you pray, pray like this pray like this. And you can see all the things we've talked about this morning, the sovereignty of God, the, 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 the fact that our prayers matter, the, the fact that he is, is in control and wants it to be a constant daily practice. It's all wrapped up in here. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy, glorifying God for who he is and his hand upon us. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We know that his plans are, per are perfect and we want to see his perfect plans come to pass. And guess what? They will. He is sovereign. He is king. And we submit ourselves to his kingship. Give us for the next 30 days the bread that we need so that we don't have to go grocery shopping. No, give us today our daily bread. A daily, moment by moment, even meal by meal, dependence upon God and practicing his presence. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Those, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who've sinned against us. And don't bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Help us to be alert. Help us to be awake and alive and practicing your presence on a daily basis. And so I know it's, it's already noon and some of you it's like, you know, we got to go, it's lunch. But I, I want to just ask that you indulge a little bit with me and let's pray. But let's take five minutes and pray right where we're at according to what God lays on our heart through the Lord's Prayer. And let's start with this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Spend a moment in prayer over that idea, honoring the name of your Father.
Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Submit the concerns of your heart in this moment to the sovereignty of the God who knows the beginning from the end and loves you. Give us today our daily bread. Those needs that you have, lift them up to the Father, the good and perfect Father of lights, from whom every good gift comes. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Confess your moments and actions of rebellion against God, but also take a moment and forgive those who have offended you. No, Lord, do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. It's in your name we pray this morning, Lord Jesus. And by your life, death, and resurrection, we know that all of this is true. We pray that we would be able to, encouraged to, convicted to, devote ourselves to you in prayer, staying alert, and being full of thanksgiving, that it would become a part of all of our lives, that we would acknowledge your presence regularly instead of allowing you to be forced to the background of our daily life. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the example of faithful believers before us. May we pass on that example to the ones to come. In your name we pray, Jesus.